0: Church, we're really glad that you're here this morning. God is moving in his place all over. In the first service of uh, several decisions for people coming to Christ, and really experiencing his love for the very first time. Like truly, I'm talking an encounter with God. And I want to this before we get started today and say this, that whenever you have an invitation from God, God says, hey, call on me. Give me your burdens. I love you and I care for you. Whenever you invite that guy to be Lord of your life, listen, he's too big of a God to come into your life and not change you. He's way too big. So when you have an encounter with God and you experience him in that way, he's too big. He's going to change you from the inside out. And so today I've got some really cool information for you, a a great opportunity that we've been provided. As many of you know, as a pastor of this church, uh, my wife... Pregnant. Uh, she has delivered a baby this past week. Uh, I guess uh, it was about eight or nine, ten days ago at this time. And uh, she had some complications and some things that, that came up. And so I asked one of my great friends, I mean I consider him as one of my best friends, is Brad Wilkerson to provide the word to us today. And so what I want to do is I want to just prepare our hearts. And I want to go to a time of just, just asking God to really speak to us. Because I believe that what he did in that first service was life-changing. And it'll be life-changing for you, too, if you'll ask Jesus to be a part of it. Because, listen, you can do church without God this morning, or you can do church with God. You get to choose. So as I pray, I want you to say, God, whatever you want to say to me. Maybe this will be the first time you've ever prayed. I want you to say this. God, whatever you want to say to me, speak to me. Speak to me. Let's pray. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you just use bread in a transformational way, God. Just like you did in the first service, God. I pray that you just open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive what you would have for us this morning, God, I'm thankful for His friendship. I'm thankful for His love, but God, more than anything, I'm thankful for His passion to lead the way, to see lives change, God, to mentor me, to coach me, to help me uh, to develop as a pastor, to care for people and love them. God, I pray that you just bless it in your name. We pray, Amen. You can be seated at this time. Here's what to do. I give you a little bit of a backstory as to who Brad is. Uh, Brad, about uh, three and a half years ago. Uh, I actually visited this area, and I had actually visited the Fort Worth area. How many of y'all know that you know we're, we're Dallas more than we're Fort Worth? Like we're Dallas all the way through and then we're yeah. not Fort Worth. But we can represent. Come on, you love Dallas more than Fort Worth. Yeah, like I work in Dallas, I work in Fort Worth. Listen, listen, listen. I visited Fort Worth, Fort Worth, and it was more country type territory where I was. Like I went to this little church. and... And there's all these cowboys everywhere. And I was like, okay, 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 this is Texas. I'm, I'm learning. I'm from Ohio. And uh, all I knew was that God was leading me to start a church. While I was in Ohio, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where God was going to lead me to. And I just happened to have a pastor friend that said, Man, come to the Fort Worth area." And he showed me all the cities of Fort Worth and all these surrounding areas that he said, man, you could plant a church here, you could start a work here. And, uh, and so I go home, and I'm praying about what is it that God's leading me to do. Well, out of nowhere, I get this call from this guy named Brad, and I don't know him. Never met him. Never seen him. No clue who, what what the face looks like on the other end of the phone. Okay? And here's what this guy says. And I love how bold Brad is. He says, are you Randy Moore? I said, yeah. He goes, listen, I forbid you to go plant a church in the Fort Worth area. He said, you got to come see some of the areas up here. He said, there's Frisco, there's McKinney. He said, you got to come. And I said, Brad, listen, I'm like, who is this guy? Why is he trying to tell me what to do? That was my first thought. Like, who is this guy? And uh, then he said, he said, listen, he said, I know you just got back. I was working at a church at the time. You know, I had responsibilities and things going on. And, and I'm thinking, I can't, I can't leave and just go there again. And he goes, listen, man, I'll book you a flight. He said, I'll take you and tour you around. I don't know this guy. So I'm like, why in the world is this guy willing to do any of this? And it really was, whenever, whenever we read the stories of like Paul and how he would go city to city and town to town and preach the gospel, there would be people that would house him and feed him and take care of him. That was Brad for me. Brad's this guy that I don't know. He's like, get here. So I'm like, okay, well, God, you must be opening this door because, listen, you know I'm poor. I, was, I mean, I'm, When I'm talking poor, I'm talking... Poor, poor. Rudy says he was so poor growing up that they didn't even give him a middle name. That's how poor he was, all right? Like, seriously, that's how poor we were growing up. You just didn't get everything you needed. And so when Brad said, listen, I'll, I'll buy a plane ticket. I'll do whatever it takes to get you here. We'll give you a place stay," I'm like, dude, God must be leading the way on this. So we came out and visited. I'll never forget the day. Brad takes us down to 121 Custer Road. And he says, listen, somewhere in this area, right in these parts, he said, there needs to be a church that God will you, you offer. He said, I believe with all my heart that there needs to be a church that's got your DNA. And he said, there are people hungry here for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need direction, and they need healing, and they need to find purpose in their life so they can live their life according to God's plan." And when he was teaching that, because I mean, it was a moment of time, and it, it did something right here in my heart. And it was like, I'm in. I'm coming. Now, listen, I didn't know anybody in this city. Nobody. I'm moving from, you know, 16 and a half hours away to come start a church. I have no people, no money, and no building. But I got Brad who told me something good. You know, it's like, what in the world is that all about? And he spoke vision to me. And it was from that day forward, I was like, dude, I'm all in. I, anybody else in the room, my survey, you say, um, you're kind of like me. You're either black or white. You're either not moving at all or you're running. Anybody like me? Come on now. Come on now. That's me. I was like, dude, I'm, just, I'm trying to figure this out. And when he spoke those words, I was like, boom, I'm oh, man, I'm never going to look back. And we haven't looked back. And so Brad has been uh, assigned to me through, uh, through Verge to be my coach. And uh, for the first two years, he coached us in the church plant. Uh, mentored us, trained us. I remember calling him saying, dude, what do I do in this? What do I do in this? And he would give me guidance and wisdom. And uh, he's really led the way, so I'm excited to have him here. Uh, if we can get Dan, if you don't mind bringing the, uh, the table up, we're going to welcome Pastor Brad up, give him a warm, <laughs> welcome
1: Morning, they're in first service. They're singing, and I lean over and I said, Randy, how old are you? He said, I'm 31. And I said, Man, I was getting my driver's license the year you were born. <laughs> and so I started thinking there's a couple of things that are going to transpire in your life over the next 16 years as you push 50. And the first one is this: is that when you're 47, I doubt you have any kind of hairdo. It <laughs> may look a little different. Okay. And When you're 47, bro, you're going to have to quit wearing boys' medium (laughs) t-shirts on something. You're going to have to move to the fluffy side of things because that ain't going to work when you're 47. And I could not pull that off. You can pull it off. No, 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 no. You look good, brother. You work out. A little bit. I don't. Can y'all tell I don't work out? Yeah. Hey, thanks for leaving. leaving. Thanks for not You guys are so, so blessed to have Pastor Randy and Amy as your pastor and pastor's wife. They are amazing people, and I still have not figured out where all the energy comes from, and if I could ever figure it out, I would get me some of that. Um, I don't think the guy ever sleeps. I don't think he ever takes a moment just to catch his breath, so y'all going to have to make him do that. And you're going to have to make him just enjoy the moment, not just be in the moment. i got to tell you some funny stories about your pastor. When, when we went to an assessment center in Indianapolis, Indiana, took him there to be assessed by Converge USA Assessment Center, where we, we tell them if they have the 16 building blocks, they have the stuff, they have the DNA of a church planter. And uh, so they go through this entire week of assessment, and we... We look at everything from personality profiles to strength finders. We hear him preach. We hear the philosophy of ministry. We ask them a bunch of questions. And they're, you know, they're like, why are you asking these questions? And so on the last night, we let them go out on a date night, all the couples that we're assessing. And then we go into this room until about 2 in the morning. And we talk about these people behind their backs. It's so much fun. And, and uh, we assess everything that we've seen. We look at the personality profile. So we're in the midst of talking about Randy and Amy. And one of the questions comes up. Is that the natural color of Amy's hair? That came up, you know. And so that came up. And then this question came up. We know it's not. But, and, then, and, then, and then this question comes up. Is he really that excited? And I said, I don't know. Really, I don't know. I've only known the kid for about a month.
0: But I know this. When I'm around
1: him, something happens. I get excited. I don't feel like I need a nap as much when I'm, around, when I'm around here. And so we're having this conversation, and this guy from Chicago, who's an assessor, he says, Well, I think he's fake. I think he's a total, complete phony. I think he's performing for us, and, and he's putting on an act. And, and the psychiatrist, instead of the counselor, who does all the testing of the personality profiles and the strength finders, he looks at this guy and he says, Dude, have you looked at his strength finders? His number one strength is woo, W-O-O. That means he can sell an Eskimo snow. And so what that means is he is exactly what you are seeing. He is not performing because if he was performing in three days of the pressure cooker we put him through, he would stop smiling. But he's never stopped. So he's not performing. And this guy was from Chicago, and he says, Well, I'll tell you what, you wouldn't work in Chicago because we're just not that happy. <laughs> in that moment, here's what I looked, I looked across the table, and I said, That's why he's not planting in Chicago. He's planting in the land of big hair, big cars, and big smiles. <laughs> big <laughs> Revolution Church. Now, he's crazy. He's nuts. (laughs) He starts out in an elementary school. I came over and preached for you guys when you were in the elementary school. And you guys were just a small church then, just trying to figure it all out find your way. You had a big old used U-Haul truck that you carried. I said, what are you going to do, Randy, when that thing don't start on Sunday morning? He goes, I don't know. We'll push it. We'll figure it out. I'll get a rope and pull it. I said, you probably could. So, you move from there, and then he, he calls me up and says, hey, I want to show you something. And I go over to this shopping center over by radio. And he says, we're thinking about getting this lease center. And, and moving the church in here. And I looked at him with all sincerity I'm sorry, trustees. I know you were pumping vision into it, but I looked at him, I said, don't move in here. <laughs> Stay portable. This is a shopping center that churches go to die. <laughs> but then I remembered be (laughs) more. And so you guys moved in the shopping center, you exploded, you took more square footage, and you continued to grow. You did five services on Easter, and then he calls me up and says, hey, bro, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He goes, come to McKinney, I want to show you this building. (laughs) I'm over here, I walk in that door right there, and I walk in, and within five minutes, I looked at him and I said, don't buy this building. I said, because I know you, you're going to have to do a lot of changes to this building for it to fit your ministry. And you're not going to have the time. You're not going to have the people. You've got to do ministry. Don't buy the building. <laughs> then I'm on, a board of, I'm on a board of directors one night in a meeting in San Diego. And they said, hey, we want to loan Randy Moore Revolution Church $400,000 to help them get a building. I'm like, you What? I told you not to buy the building. And I'm going to meeting, and we're going to vote on giving you guys money to buy this building. So I voted against it. I said, I'm in. Here's why I'm in. Because I know if there's anybody that's got enough energy to make it happen, it's Revolution Church. Because I know thank got And I know you are going to fill it up five, six, seven times. Get ready, <laughs> brother. You're going to be preaching all weekend.
0: All right. Yeah. This ain't your
1: last building. That's this right. is just another building. Because right. God's got a bigger future for you guys. He's got something bigger and better on the horizon. I don't know where it's at or how you're going to afford it. <laughs> but that doesn't matter because God knows how he's going to afford it. Right. He's yeah. already got the plans laid before you ever can see them in your mind. He's already got your first building that you're going to build. He's already got that drum in his mind. So you just find it. You just follow it. Just keep walking through those open doors. When he shuts the door, don't kick it down. Just don't go through that door. Just keep walking through those open doors. And Randy, you just keep on having that energy, man. And don't ever turn 45. All right, I'm going to pray with you and then we're going to get into today's sermon because I know you guys probably want to go to Babes at some point today and have lunch. So let's pray. Hey, God, thank you so much for what's going on here at Revolution Church. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of a, of a church that is absolutely knocking it out for you.
0: Amen.
1: Not because Randy wants fame or glory, not because Amy wants some kind of fame or glory, not because the people of this church want anything said of them, but because they want you to be made famous. That's right. Not just in in the neighborhoods around this building, but this entire city, this entire metroplex, and to the ends of the earth. That's right. And so, God, I thank you for this place, and thank you for our church, the church that I pastor, that I hope to God is full today. As they're having services right now as well, Lord, be with Church of Celebration and prosper, Lord. Expand our coast, expand our limitations, blow our minds with what you'll do there as well, Lord. May together as Vision Texas Church Planters, we take our state for you. That's right, amen. Bless us this morning as we dive into your Word, teach us from your Word, and may we leave here different than when we walked in. And I ask this in the name of Jesus and all God's people. Said, Amen. 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 All right, one last thing before I get into the sermon. I want you guys to know that even though I'm very happy for you and I'm proud for you that you have this building, I also am sinning right now because I'm coveting. Because our church has been portable for 10 years. And so we've been in a middle school for 10 years. Today is like the 482nd time that we will set up and tear down. And so we are in the process, though. We have land in Prosper, which, yeah, that was an easy buy. Um, so we have 30 acres just north of 380, about a mile, on on, a, on an amazing street called Fish Trap. What a name, right? <laughs> and, uh, so I would ask that you guys pray for us because we have our building drawn. We have our civil engineering done. And we're trying to get permitting from the city of Prosper. If you've never built in the city of Prosper, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so pray, pray that the city would show us favor And that we could get our permitting so we could start January 1 Building our first worship space on that land So the pray We have a guy in our church His name is Jerry Bronner um, He's been setting up and tearing down for 10 years He was in the original team that started And he's still doing it today And every time I see Jerry on Sunday mornings He hugs my neck and just says hurry that's all he says to be heard I said, I am, brother, I am Alright, let me me start off with just sharing this quick little story This will kind of set us up And while I'm reading this story, if you have your Bibles You can find Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 13 First book of the New Testament Right dead center about in your Bible If you're new to your Bible Um, If you have a smart device, you just click some buttons and you can find it, right? (laughs) One day, uh, there was a young boy came home from school, from elementary school, and this boy's name was Thomas Edison. This boy came home from school with a letter that the teacher had given to him to deliver to this boy's mother, and the teacher specifically told the little boy, do not read this letter, it's for your mother's eyes only. So when Thomas Edison got home, he delivered the letter to his mother. His mother began to read the letter to herself. But while she was reading it, Thomas Edison asked, what's in the letter? With tears welling up in her eyes, this is what she read to her son. The teacher had written, your son is a genius. This school is too small for him and doesn't have good enough teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. (laughs) Many years after Edison's mother had died, we know that Edison became one of the greatest inventors of all time. When he was cleaning out his mother's house after she had passed away, he found a box in her master bedroom closet, and when he opened that box, he found that letter that he had delivered to his mom as a young boy. He opened that letter, and he began to read it. And to his surprise, this is what the letter actually said. Your son is mentally deficient. We can no longer let him attend our school anymore. He has been permanently expelled. Edison, as you can imagine, became very emotional reading it, thinking of his mother and that day and her amazing vision for him and his life. He took the letter and went and grabbed his journal himself. And in his journal, with that letter sitting next to him, he wrote these words. Thomas A. Edison was a mentally deficient child whose mother Turned him into the genius of the century. With that, I want to give you the, what I want to get across to you today the big idea or the big thought is this. What you believe is what you will become. What you believe is what you will become. Now, that, that can be in any area of life. I mean, your boss will try to make you believe things that will make you become something. Your spouse can make you try to believe things to make you try to become something. If you're parenting today, the things that you make your kids believe will be who they will become. Maybe it's your opinion or someone's opinion about you. Maybe it's politics. I mean, we all know that the the, the political scene can certainly make you become some things by making you believe some things. But what about eternity? What about your eternal destination? What about where you go after you die? Could it be possible that the things you believe actually have an effect on who you become and what you become in relationship to your walk with Christ? Let me unpack it a little bit more. Now, I grew up in church. We weren't poor, as Randy must have been just poor. (laughs) Randy, I heard a preacher say one time he was Poe. That's me. He couldn't afford the last Poe in the honor. He was Poe. <laughs> right? So I grew up with a parent, a mom, and a dad with wonderful parents who, who drug me to church every time the doors were open. I mean, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, visitation. And I love my heritage. I love the church I grew up in. It's a great church. It's about 35 minutes North of here. It's a great place. It was a great place to grow up. But the church that I grew up in was what I would tend to say was a bit legalistic. Um, It was a church where women could wear pants to church. You might know what I'm talking about. It was was a church where the organ had to be on the right side and the piano had to be on the left side. And if you moved either one of them, you were the devil. (laughs) You know, we sang out of hymn books. As students, growing up in the student ministry, we'd go to camp in San Antonio, where it wasn't 103, we just called it the surface of the sun, and we had to wear pants all week, we had to play softball in jeans, and girls' swim time was different than boys' swim time, and there was a one-hour interval in between, so that possibly no way could we see each other crossing in a bathing suit. This is the church I grew up in, and I love my heritage. I learned so much there. But I'm going to tell you what that style of ministry and that that becoming what you believe mentality did to me. It created a, a, a young teenage boy who thought that his assurance in God was based on checking off boxes, dotting I's, and crossing T's. Thinking that somehow God loved me more because I read the King James only version of the Bible rather than the NIV. Thinking that God loved me more because we didn't have a TV in the house rather than if we did have a TV in the house. That God somehow would love me more because I performed better for Him, realizing that He loved me before I ever had done anything. But God commends His love for us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God loved you before you ever performed for Him. And so this mentality was embedded to me and I became... What I believed. Here's what I became. I became a make-believer. I became a young man, even growing up into my twenties, who could put it on on Sundays, but loved to take it off on Mondays. And then on Sunday morning, put it back on, and then take it off on Mondays. I did this all through school. All through school. I went to my ten-year class reunion, and we stood up and told everybody what we do for a living now. And I said, I'm a pastor. And they all went, do you what? <laughs> a pastor of what? A pastor of a pastor. I preached the gospel. They're like, the gospel? What's that? See, I had become very, very, very skilled at becoming a make-believer. Because I had become what I was told to believe. And what I was told to believe is it was about what I did that made Jesus love me rather than what Jesus had done already for me. That Jesus had already accepted me. That Jesus loved me. And that man-made tradition added to the gospel, diluted the gospel rather than making it better. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so it created in me a spirit. This idea of making believe that I was something that I wasn't. You see, what you believe today, what you believe about the, the pure truth What you believe about truth, when I say truth, I mean the teachings of Jesus, what you believe about the truth could lead you to missing heaven by 18 inches. What you believe about the truth of the word of God and the truth of the teachings and the truth of the life of Jesus, if you believe it wrong, if you believe that it has something to do with what you do rather than with everything that he did, you could miss heaven by 18 inches. And you're like, how's that possible? How's it possible to actually miss heaven by some some measurement? Well, 18 inches is is pretty much unanimously the average between a human's mind and a human's heart. You see, it's very possible that you can know everything there is to know about God, everything there is to know about His Word and miss the God of the Word. It's very possible that you can become what you... Believe because someone told you to believe this rather than actually diving in for yourself and finding out what Jesus really said. And you could miss heaven by 18 inches. And I'm not here today to cause doubt. Listen, by no means do I want anybody to doubt their assurance of their salvation today. I want you to seal that deal today. I want you to walk out of here saying, hey, there is no question that I'm not going through some religious, traditional uh, rituals To earn salvation, I'm just putting my faith and trust in Jesus and His finished work on the cross. We have an epidemic going around in churches today. We have an epidemic in our nation, and it's this. We have churches full of people that have become culturally conditioned Christians.
0: They embrace
1: basic Christian ethic, but they never truly surrender to the Christ behind that ethic. I mean, there are a lot of things in our world, and specifically in our nation, that are being done under the banner of Christianity that have nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus. And it's been going on for for years. You can call yourself a Christian and justify just about any action. But Jesus never called his followers Christians. As a matter of fact, they were first called Christians at Antioch, and the people that gave them the name Christian were the outside world. It was used as a derogatory term. Jesus said, don't be a Christian because that is too broad. Be a disciple. Because that now narrows it down when you become a disciple of Christ. Being a Christian is not based on morality, even though Christians ought to be moral. Amen? That's right. Being a Christian is not based on behavior, although Christians should behave correctly. Being a Christian is now based on your church attendance. Although, Randy, here's your chance to say amen. You want to go to church? Amen. That's <laughs> right. And being a Christian has nothing to do with good deeds, even though we all to do good deeds. That's right. Being a Christian is entirely dependent on a sold-out faith in Jesus Christ. As the substitutionary sacrifice for sin and the resurrected Savior for eternal life. Amen. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not actions you do; it's action that He did, and it's a grave that's empty, and it's a trust and faith that you put in that and rest in it. That's right. that's right. There's no more boxes to check off. There's no more eyes to dot. There's no more T's to cross. There's no more man's religious traditions to make sure you're adhering to. Jesus paid it all. That's right. That's why we owe all to Him. Amen. So. You're thinking, man, that's, that's pretty awesome that you came up with that, Brad. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming up with that and bringing that to us. Well, actually, I can't take credit for it because Jesus actually came up with it. Jesus actually addressed this very issue. Now, now you, you say, well, Jesus' day was different than our day. No, it was pretty similar. As a matter of fact, there were people that were culturally conditioned to believe things that dotting eyes and checking off boxes. They were called the Pharisees. That somehow that was going to earn favor with God. And they missed the Messiah in the midst of that. And then when Paul writes to the book of Galatians. I mean right in the first chapter. He's like I gave you the pure gospel. and You've already jacked it up. You've already added stuff to it. Why did you do that? And so Jesus talks about this. As a matter of fact the very first sermon that Jesus preached. In Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. You ever heard of that? You think Pastor Randy preaches long. Jesus (laughs) preached for three chapters. I mean, that's something, you know, forever. But I can see the disciples In the back going Hey, wrap it up Lunch time He just keeps going And going and going He gets into Matthew chapter 7 And when he gets to the end Of the chapter He goes into his conclusion And you just know In this moment He's going to read you A nice warm fuzzy poem He's going to give you that hook story that makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside and and you're going to leave church feeling great. No, he doesn't go there. He goes, oops, I forgot something. I forgot to tell you this. Let me tell you one more thing before I close this sermon. It's in verse 21 and 23, and it is powerful. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who proclaims to be followers of me. Not everyone who you think Is all that for me? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, thanks, Jesus. This is a nice way to wrap it up. And then he says, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now listen, he says, a few? Some? No, he says, many. Many will say to me on that day, many, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Jesus says in verse 23, I will tell them plainly, not somebody else, I personally will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you moral people. Away from me, you good church attendee. Away from me, those of you that serve in children's ministry every week at Revolution Church. He calls them evildoers. Away from me, evildoers. The first thing I notice in this passage, at the end of this sermon that Jesus preaches, is he clearly tells us that millions and millions and millions and millions of people understand who he is, and the evidence of them understanding who he is is they get his name right. They call him Lord. How many of you know that people call Jesus Lord all the time, but they're not—he's not their Lord. Yeah. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord Adam. That's right. And so people use that all the time. Well, yeah, I believe in the Lord or the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And he said, hey, it's not enough that you know my name. What you need to be concerned about is do I know your name? That's what he says. And then the second thing he points out in this last point of this sermon is that there's going to be millions millions and millions and millions and millions of people that are going to say, not only did we know your name, God, but look at all the things that we did in your name. I mean, look at the fact that, that we cast out demons. Now, you want to grow your attendance here on Sunday? You want to go to 20 services on a weekend? <laughs> Start doing that. People will come for miles to watch that. He says, we cast out demons in your name, Lord. We prophesied in your name. We've done mighty works in your name, Lord. We didn't just get your name right. We worked for you. Hey, listen, did you not, God, did you not see my Facebook post this week? I, I, I posted spiritual stuff. I posted scripture. Did you not see on Instagram I had my Bible open and my coffee cup there with the spiritual stuff on my coffee cup? I mean, come on. God, we went to growth track. Come on. <laughs> we asked him, would you grow track and move beyond that? And we got it. We were the dream team. How awesome is that? We got plugged into your church and Jesus says, it's not enough to know me. It's not enough to know who I am, know my name. It's not enough just to do that. It's not enough just to work for me. Do I know you? You see, we're so interested in what we do for the Lord. And Jesus is interested in who we are in Him. He's more interested in what we are becoming than rather than what we're doing. We think that somehow, some way, God is impressed with our religious activity. God is so much more concerned with who you're becoming rather than what you're doing. He says, I never knew. You. And that's what I call a culturally conditioned Christian. Someone who knows the Lord's name, works hard in the name of the Lord, but has truly never been. Here's an old school church word for you. If you're new to church, forgive me for this. Never been truly born again. Like, what's that mean? It's just like being born again. It's just what it is. No, you don't enter into your mother's womb if you don't know that. Read John chapter 3. Jesus unpacked that for Nicodemus. You don't go back into your mother's womb, but you are spiritually reborn. And it's not about turning over a new leaf because every time you turn over the new leaf, it's the same leaf. It's just the other side. This is a new you. This is a second Corinthians 5 17 you. Know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. Everything changes when you become born again in Him. You move from just knowing His name to Him knowing your name. That's what it means to be born again. And so as I developed and wrote this out, and even preached this at our church six, seven weeks ago in a series we did called Pop Culture, I thought to myself, I wonder if I as a pastor have created a church full of make-believe. I wonder if it's okay that over half our adult congregation possibly sits under my teaching every week and truly doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. I wonder even in this room right now how many folks call Revolution Church their home. And they're in the midst of just simply living a life of being a make believer. Checking off a box. dotting and I crossing a team. Doing what you thought you had to do because somebody made you believe that's what you had to do when you were a teenager to earn God's favor. And yet the whole time God says, I've already shown you favor. It's called my son. There's a, there was a quote, or there was a phrase that an evangelist used many years ago on a stage just like this one. It was preaching something very similar to this. And he used this phrase and it changed my wife's life. My wife and I have been married now over 25 years. But this was the moment that changed her life. I didn't change her life, even though I think I should. You know, right? (laughs) This changed her life. When the evangelist on the stage used this phrase, if you are 99% sure that you're saved, or that you know Jesus and Jesus knows you, then you are 100% lost and on your way to hell. If you're 99% sure... See, my wife had grown up in a teaching that said... Check off boxes. Do this, 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 and this, and God will let you enter into heaven. But in that moment, she realized, I know his name, and I've done things in his name. I've worked for him, but he doesn't know my name. And it changed her life. It changed the trajectory of her life because she went from being a make-believer to a full-fledged follower of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 13, you like, finish the story. I will at the end. In Matthew 13, Jesus continues to teach this principle. And he's teaching a, ter- a parable. Not a terrible. A parable. And you know what a parable is? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus is teaching. And he says this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy... Notice that in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he went back and he bought that field. Do you know why he went back and bought that field? Because there was a treasure in that field and that treasure was worth everything he owned. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Now we have a merchant, we had a man in a field, now we have a merchant looking for fine pearls. He must be a jeweler. When he found one of great value, when he found that pearl of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had and he came back and he bought that pearl. Jesus is telling this parable to get people focused not on the pearl, not on the field, but on the treasure called Jesus that is the kingdom of heaven. You see, God is trying to get you and I not to live for the kingdom of earth, but to live for his kingdom. You know, like, what does that look like? Well, it's the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ on earth as it's already happening in heaven. That's why Jesus told the disciples, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in where? Heaven. So the kingdom of God is literally the reign of the rule of Jesus Christ on earth as it's already happening in heaven. And if you are in Christ, listen to me. If you are in Christ today, you are already an eternal living being. You don't have to die to experience eternity. You are already living eternally. And if you're living eternally, if you're already in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven then it should change the way you live in a place that's not your home. You following me? This is not your home. You're just a visitor. Moses would say you're just an alien. So it changes all of you. So if you're living for the kingdom, if you're like this man or this merchant that's found this treasure or this pearl, then you're no longer living in a culturally conditioned Christian atmosphere. You are permeating that atmosphere with the kingdom of heaven. That means every room you walk into, that means every place that you go as a child of God, the room changes. The culture of the room changes. The culture of the atmosphere changes. And the man and the merchant in this parable, they weren't looking for treasure when they discovered it. I mean, the guy's walking through a field. He doesn't know there's a treasure there. And listen, some of you come here today and you don't even know why you're here.
0: Like, I don't even know why I went down there. Somebody invited
1: you, someone promised you they'd take you to lunch, and so you came. Someone said, they got a crazy nuthead task down there, so you came here and preach, and you're disappointed because it's me. <laughs> but you don't know why you're here, but you know for some reason God has you here now. And the music was a little too loud, and you're like, man, that's loud. Why are those people on the stage so excited? And you're just, you just, you felt awkward, and you're like, I don't know why I'm here But all of a sudden, in this moment, you realize, while I'm here, I I found a treasure. The treasure is Jesus.
0: And I found him.
1: And it's worth everything to me to, to be able to acquire that great treasure. Because I want the change. I don't know what the guy on the stage is so passionate about, but I'd like to find out. I want that treasure. And listen to me. Whatever... Whatever or wherever you find yourself today. Whatever it would cost you to discover the kingdom of heaven. It is a great trade if in return you get Jesus. Whatever it would cost you. That's why Paul says for me to lose Christ. And guess what? To die his day. Because either way I get Jesus. Whatever it is. It's a great trade. And so here's how as a pastor of a 10 year old church. Here's how I know that I have people sitting in my chairs that are culturally conditioned Christians. And I have people in my chairs that are sold out disciples and followers of Jesus. It's one word. Jesus mentioned it in the parable of the merchant and the man. It's joy. It says, in his great joy. You ever notice people who Jesus has really changed their life? They cannot contain their joy, their excitement. You want to say, would you just calm down a little bit? You don't understand what God has done for me. I can't calm down. That's right. It's in their great joy. Great joy in Christ. Listen, Great joy in Christ changes how you look at going to church. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. Amen. That's right. When I preached this in my church, I said, now only did you get to, but Listen. You get to get there before we start, not after we start. (laughs) Nobody, amen. (laughs) You get to be in a community, a life group. You get to sing. You get to worship. You're like, some of you are thinking, God, that the music's so loud because the people next to you can't hear you. (laughs) So you just sing because of what God has done in your life. Others of you are like, I'm not going to sing. No way, I'm singing. I'm not singing those songs. had a guy about three weeks ago say to me, you know, I just wish we would sing some of the older songs in our church and I would like it more. I said, I just wish you would get saved. (laughs) You get saved, you wouldn't care what you sing. You would just... You stop thinking the church exists to please you. You move away from that consumer mentality. and You realize you're here and we're glad you're here. But there's still some empty chairs that aren't filled. Somebody needs to be here. And you're the conduit to get them. It changes. I wish I had a dollar. I'll tell you what. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard this in 10 years, I could build a building with cash. And it's this. Pastor, we're leaving because you're not deep enough and you're not feeding us anymore. I said, what? Don't blame me. You feed yourself. I'm preaching the word. What are you talking about? I'm not feeding you. What they're saying in that moment is, we're going to use that as an excuse to make you feel like you're shallow as a pastor, but in all reality, we've turned inward. That's right. We've lost sight of the why of what we do. And listen, in his great joy, he sold everything he had. Everything so he could buy that field. Think about joy. Joy. Joy isn't being pleased with all my circumstances. Lord knows I'm not pleased with all my circumstances. But I've got confidence in Christ in the midst of those circumstances. That's what joy is. And you can tell the difference in a culturally conditioned Christian's joy and a truly born again follower of Christ's joy. Jesus tells us simply today, there is no such thing, no such thing as a make-believer. You're either black or you're white. You're either standing still or you're running. There's no in between. That's right. And listen, while I got you, listen to me real close right here. Listen, God has no grandchildren. You know what that means? That means you cannot lean on your father's faith. You cannot say, my mama played the piano in church growing up, therefore I'm going to heaven. doesn't work. You can't say, "Well, my grandfather was a deacon in such and such church. My grandfather was a trustee. My grandfather helped build that church." It doesn't matter. It has to be your faith. God has no grandchildren.
0: That's right.
1: Only children. So back to my wife. I'm done. So my wife that night, and she shocked me. And she said, "I don't know Jesus." And here's why it shocked me. Because we were at youth camp. And I was the youth pastor. And she was the youth pastor's wife. We were working at our first ministry out of Bible College in Abilene, Texas. If you're from West Texas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not very pretty out there, but the people are amazing. And we had 50 kids at Camp, Singing Hills Youth Camp, outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the evangelist's name was Jamie and He was preaching, he was sweating, he was screaming, he was spitting. Then he dropped the bomb and he said, "If you're 99% sure you're saved, you're 100% lost." And she leaned over and she said, "I know his name, but he doesn't know mine." I said, "What are you talking about? You've led teenage girls to Christ over the last year and a half that we've been here. You're an awesome woman. You're a godly woman. What do you put up with me? What do you mean?" She said, well, you remember when we started dating the summer before our senior year in high school? I said, yeah. She said, do you remember what your parents' stipulation was on me for you to be able to date me? See, now you're going back to my childhood, ready? You can't date anybody that doesn't claim to be a Christian. And I couldn't date, watch this, I couldn't even date somebody who didn't go to our church. Now, you've seen the youth group where I went? that limited to about two girls. (laughs) Both of them were taken. So when I asked my wife, Sarah, to go out with me, I told her, is there any possible way your parents don't go to church and they would allow you to go to church with me? And she said, no, we go to church, but we only go about once a month. Awesome. Maybe they'll let you come with me. And so I asked her parents, and she asked me, said, yeah, you can go to church, Brad. We don't care. So she started coming to church with me. So I got I got get good with my mom there. But then there was enormous pressure being put on her To make Jesus her savior. And so one night under the pressure, really, of other people's expectations, on a Sunday night, she prayed a prayer that was nothing but her repeating words, but nothing changed on the inside. 18 inches. She prayed a prayer, and then we went along. She got baptized. I mean, we went about our life. We got married. She's a pastor's wife. And that night at youth camp, I got up at the end of the sermon Went outside and sat down on a park bench with my wife and led her to Christ. Showed her the verses she'd seen and used a hundred times with other girls. And I led my wife to Jesus at Singing Hills Youth Camp in Albuquerque, New Mexico. At the moment that that happened, I realized i got to go home and i got to tell my pastor and i got to tell my church that the youth pastor's wife didn't know the Lord. That's weird. And so I had all this anxiety and all this fear. But when I got home, I told them, listen, listen to me. My wife got saved and she stood up, she said, she gave her story, she got baptized. And I'm going to tell you what happened in the church. Revival broke out. Because adults, all of the congregation began to leave their seat and come forward and say, that's me, that's me, that's me. I've been checking boxes all my life. I've been dotting eyes and crossing T's. The Lord does not know my name. People begin. I want to tell you today, if that's you, if you're just like my wife, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I can never do that, what would people think of me? I want to tell you what they would think of you. They would welcome you to the family of God, and they would celebrate you. Amen. And they would celebrate our because, listen, you are why we did church today. That's right. You are why I came here today and sweat like crazy up <laughs> here. are the reason. So right now in this room, I'm going to ask everybody just respect each other and bow their heads and close their eyes. and I I just want to ask you point blank. You know, I was bold with Randy when I told him, do not plant it forward. I'm going to be bold with you right now. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you right where you are. If that's you today, if you say, you know what, that's me. That's me. I'm a make-believer and no more make-believe for me. I don't want to miss heaven by 18 your hand up and say, Pastor bread. pray for me. Pray for me. All over this room. All over this room, hands are up. Say, pray for me. I have been living a, a life that says I know all about God, but God doesn't know me. Yes, all over this room. All over this room there are hands up. Now, those of you that raised your hands, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can put your hands down at this moment. Let's keep your heads bowed and eyes nice closed. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be bold enough and then be hungry enough for Jesus to rest his grace and His mercy rather than your performance. And a way to do that is simply in a prayerful moment. Now listen, I'm going to lead you through that, but this has to be your prayer, not my prayer. This has to be your moment, not my prayer. But right where you're seated, those of you that raised your hands, and if you didn't raise your hand, that's okay. But you know you need this. Pray this prayer with me right now. Say, "Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I repent I confess you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I proclaim that you died for me and I believe that you rose again for me. I put my faith and trust in you. Thank you for making me new. I am yours and you are mine. It is my privilege to be a child of God. I know more work for my salvation. I know more work for my salvation. I rest in my salvation, I rest in my salvation. Because, it's in you. because it's in you, in Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen.